Jesus said, when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. When you think about prayer in your life, how would you describe it? Because over these next six weeks, we're going to be taking a look at what if prayer moved from my life from an obligation to an opportunity, where I moved from dreading it or worrying about it or putting shame and guilt on it and moved it actually into the, what it is, a relationship, an ongoing relationship with God through talking in prayer. I want to put the case before you that I believe the most we can do in our lives, in our day, for our world, for everyone around us is to pray. And as we look at that, uh, how would you describe your prayer life? Now, everyone chill. I'm not going to go down and bring a mic and ask you, what, what do you think about your prayer life? Matter of fact, that's probably one of the things we're most scared about, especially as we're a church of small groups. We invite you to join into a small group, and that's one of the greatest fears of joining a small group. Will they ask me to pray? You know, that's the dreaded concept there. But how would you describe your prayer life? I had an opportunity to ask a bunch of people around me this week to describe their prayer life, and um, everyone to a T said, well, they kind of looked down. It's not where it should be. I think that's a common, common, but why? Why is prayer such a struggle? And I think there's some key reasons. I'll share some with you. One are doubts. We really wonder, we wonder, does God really listen? Does he really care? Does he know what I'm going on? And does, does my prayer make a difference? Some of us just haven't put our faith and trust in God. We're still kind of watching. We're kind of observing Christians. Kind of, this is our lab to see how Christians act and behave and what they believe. And we're on the outside of faith. And so we, we're considering that. And we have doubt. I don't even know if there is a God. Why would I pray to him? Even people who have known God for a long time and trusted in Christ have that question. I feel like my prayers aren't making a difference. We have a, a doubt, a, a, an environment of doubt around us. Some of us ask, Does, um, can I really do it? I mean, Hishma, you're the pastor. We pay you to pray. So pray, preacher boy. <laughs> and that's that concept that uh, we, I come to church because a professional will stand up in front and pray over me. There's, uh, there's nothing mystical about me, people. I am a broken, fallen man. God hears me as he hears you when you pray. So don't pay to pray, okay? That's not a good uh, picture. But a lot of us think, boy, he speaks with those theological words and he talks to God in this, in this way that I couldn't. I wonder, you doubt if you could do that. Others of us who've walked with Jesus for a while say, boy, just that passage you read, Joe, that God already knows before you ask, I doubt that I should even pray then because if God already knows it, then why would I pray it? Why would I remind him of something he already knows? And that's a legitimate question. We're going to answer that next week. So come back next week. 
That's how I get you to come back next week, is to answer a question you've always asked. But here, doubts. Doubts can play. Uh, another thing can be frustration. Uh, so much frustration is around the topic of, of prayer. Some of us have tried, and we haven't sustained it. And so now that I bring up the topic of prayer, you're getting nervous. You're getting frustrated. You fear, if I say yes to something this week, I don't know, Tuesday comes around and I forgot, so Wednesday's out. I, and you just, you're frustrated when you come to that. Some of us, uh, if we're married, some of us have tried with our spouses, and because we didn't, because I didn't keep it going, there's the fear that I'll let my wife down. I've talked to a lot of couples who started praying for a while, and then because um, the wife got upset that they didn't continue, she just holds it over him, and he doesn't want to start anymore because he doesn't feel he could keep it sustained. And so they don't pray together. And think about it. They're robbing their marriage of the, the most they can do for it in prayer. We compare our prayers with others, and we go, there's no way I can do that one. That's, I mean, what is that word, propitiation? That's not even on my Scrabble board. And people are praying it all around us. Others of us fear what what it might cost us. After all, we're not morning people. And all Christians pray in the morning, right? And if I'm not a morning person, you feel you're frustrated when we have this topic and it brings this up. And that, again, that kind of pairs with failures that you've had in the past. And my goodness, there's so much shame and guilt about it. As soon as I say, describe your prayer life, and you look down, that's shame. That's the accuser saying to you, don't give up on this one. You, you're not going to be able to sustain this. Because we fear making a commitment we couldn't stay with. And we don't want to let ourselves, we don't want to let God, we don't want to let the people around us um, down. So we operate out of shame. Some of us don't like... Um, routines in our lives. We like, we like to be totally spontaneous. And so the concept of us needing to pray every day, we just go, no way, I don't want that. And some of us who grew up in the church, we pull out the legalism card. Don't expect me to do something every day. That sounds like the Jewish religion that says you have to do this and this and this and this or else you're out. And I don't want that. And so because we're afraid to commit to a deeper relationship with God. We just play that legalism card. And then there's distractions. My goodness, do we live in a world of distractions? It's really hard to sit in a room quietly. Isn't that awkward? It's awkward because you come to a place and you go, boy, keep it going up here. Keep the music and then move right into the next transition. Don't pause for longer than three seconds. Folks, I get uncomfortable when I ask a question and no one responds. And I've been taught over the years to go, one Mississippi, two Mississippi, to myself. I don't say it out loud, thankfully. But, <laughs> and to wait for, because it, we're uncomfortable with quietness in our lives. And especially if you have little ones, or people who act like little ones in your home, and they're always distracting you from getting in a room, getting alone with God, going to that desolate place in your house when there's not an inch of your house that doesn't have a distraction. And then we're hurried, and hurry is the enemy of relationship. 
Hurry always distracts you away from what's most important in your marriage, what's most important as a parent, what's most important is a relationship with God. And folks, we have more accessibility to information, and it's at our fingertips. We call them screens. They're right there, and they're always, always marketing to us. You guys, Candy Crush has a new update. I know you're supposed to be in the time with the Lord, but hey, update. It's going to be so awesome. Kohl's, Amazon has a sale of the century today. Don't miss out. I know you got your prayer list there, but just swipe over there. And there you And pretty soon, one bot begets another bot, and you go to another bot. And pretty, you know, pretty soon, after 20 minutes of bot, you haven't prayed with God. Now, I would know nothing of what this looks like. It's interesting. It's really interesting in my own life this week as I prepared for this message. I mean, my prayer life was just not great. And that's a good word for it. It wasn't great. I had more distractions when I tried to get time with God in prayer. I had shame and guilt of past failures. I've had a past history of meeting with God every day in the same place and having rich times of prayer. But as I was preparing for this message, man, I just was... It wasn't a good week. And so there's this resistance even about wanting to talk about it in that I didn't have a good week. So how can I stand up here and tell you how important and valuable the most you can do is to pray. Um, Only because of grace. Only because of grace. Because none of us deserve to be here, but all of us can be here because what Christ has done for us. And what I want to just explore with you is what could happen? What could happen if we could move away from this condition from a prayerless condition. Because that's where many are. Many followers of Jesus, people who've known Jesus for years, find themselves going through periods of prayerlessness. I remember I had a good friend of mine who said, man, when he was just confessing where his life was, his ministry had been so successful. And I kind of looked at it as, boy, that's a great picture of success in ministry. He said, you know what? I battle every day. Prayerless striving just getting things done and not doing it with God. And you know what? That's the whole picture of a, it's kind of anti-faith to be prayerless. And yet so many of us are there. I don't want to be there. And I think you guys don't want to be there. So what could happen if prayer moved from an obligation to an opportunity? Because everything in my walk with Jesus has just been transformed when I moved from an obligation to an opportunity. An obligation is you have to. An, in, um, an opportunity is, is you get to, right? And when I've looked at time with God in his word, the second I quit checking it off the box and celebrating 15 days in a row, huh? I'm a good Christian. Second, I moved away from checking the box and into God is speaking to me here. Do I know him? Do I understand what he's doing? And will I follow him? It totally changed my time in God's word. In giving, when, as soon as I go, you must give to the church because nothing happens if you don't give. I mean, I gave. And I gave out of obligation. And I gave consistently. And I don't have any regrets over giving. But the second it moved to an opportunity... 
I have an opportunity to be a part of the work of God. And he doesn't need me. He doesn't need me. But he invites me to be a part of it. As soon as I moved giving, it's interesting what happened to my heart. And it's interesting what happened to the amount. It just was free. I wasn't trying to hold it back. I wasn't thinking of it as a loss. I was thinking of it, how much more can I give? Just how much more, who more can I help with what God has already given me? Everything changes when things move from an obligation to an opportunity. So what could happen? What could happen? And by the way, are we okay? Are you okay with being prayerless? I don't know about you. I'm just not. I'm just not okay with that. I think as God has far more for me through prayer than I could ever have through independence, through a prayerless life. And to be quite honest, any important relationship in my life has to have communication. Because the truth is, I wouldn't be okay if the people around me avoided talking to me because of the reasons we just went through. Because they doubt whether or not I'll listen to them. Because they're frustrated. I've talked with Joe before and it got me nowhere. (laughs) Or... Man, I tried to talk to Joe, and man, he just made me feel small. I failed at that. Or, honey, um, there's a great sale on right now at Target. Um, I'll talk to you in a minute. And we look at screens, and we ignore the communication and the most important person in front of you. I don't think we're okay with that. And then, would it help your relationship with anyone if they wanted to talk to you, and you said, no, today, I don't feel like it. I really don't feel like it. So when I feel like it, then I'll talk to you. By the way, try it out. (laughs) It doesn't work. It doesn't work. Do I have to talk to you? That doesn't work. We get that sometimes from our adolescence. Do I have to really talk to you? Just look me in the eye, child, you know? Why do you always want to talk to me? Those kinds of comments, those kinds of statements, those types of attitudes, it doesn't help grow relationships. Matter of fact, it presses them down. Now, I'm not going to paint a picture that God's up in heaven going, why didn't you talk to me today? I'm so upset you hurt my feelings. I mean, that's putting God like a precious moments figure. He's not. He's not. And I can tell you, I can tell you, he's not up there going to give giving you guilt and shame. And I've heard this talked about ever since I've been a little kid. And I've got this feeling like God's upset with me. He doesn't want to talk with me because I messed up for three days in a row. No. You guys, if you're a parent, if you're a parent and your kid doesn't talk to you for four days and you're a healthy parent, (laughs) the fifth day when they do want to sit down with you, you're going to talk to them. You're so thankful they're there. It's not like, well, you're having four days. No, it's the fifth day. You're done. We're out. You're excommunicated from the house, you know, and we move. No, you're open. You're willing. You're so honored on that. Your heavenly father is the same way. So what could happen? What could happen if we continued and deepened our relationship with God in prayer? And I just want to say on the, as we continue on this, this is not going to be easy. This is going to be a struggle. It is a battle of kingdoms on earth between good and evil. It is a conflict of wills, the will of the flesh and the will of the spirit. And that's just, there's going to be a time when this is going to be taken from us. When we meet Jesus, this attitude and this independence, not to talk, not to communicate, that will be taken and we will be set free forever. But until then, it is going to be a fight. You will fight to pray. 
And some days it's going to be easier, and it will get easier over time. But that most difficult step is our first step in prayer. So what I want to kind of build for you is, what if the most you could do was to pray? That's a really key picture for us now. Because I've heard people talk about prayer as, oh, well, at least we can pray. Well, no. The most we can do is pray. It's not the least. It's not our last thought. It's not, after you've tried all you could, then pray. I mean, I saw Facebook. I wanted to go hate, you know, but I didn't see that. I didn't see that option. No, that's just not, it's just not right. It's just not what prayer is meant to be. It's meant to be the most we could do. Now, um, I want to share some key areas that it really is the most you can do. What if prayer is the most you can do to follow Christ? What is the most you can do to be like Jesus? Because we see in the pattern of the life of Jesus, prayer. In Mark 1, by the way, first chapter of the book of Mark, Mark starts out and he builds the case, follow Jesus, follow Jesus, follow Jesus, follow him to death, follow him in life. And if you can follow him in death, you'll know how to live. And so that's just going to work its way out. Be a follower of Jesus. And in the first chapter, he talks about, and he just shares this observation. He says, At, and rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he, being Jesus, departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. I'll think with you. I believe this is descriptive of the life of Jesus. It's not prescriptive. A lot of Christians look at that and go, well, boy, I got to get up early. Set your alarm, 5 o'clock in the morning. That's while it is still dark, and I got to look for a new place. I need to depart from my house and go to a desolate place. That's if you view this. And some Christians have. Some Christians have. I would just say it's a little bit. I don't think that's going to help you take that first step. This is descriptive. In other words, there was a time, there's a place, Every day when Jesus prayed. And that description should kind of give us a pattern that we need to talk to God daily, right? Because all important relationships have daily communication. You want a relationship to stall? Stop talking. (laughs) You want a relationship to just stagnate? Then just pursue more important things and neglect communication and being on the same page. To pray is to follow Christ. Jesus prayed. He did. Choosing the 12 disciples in Luke chapter 6, it says that Jesus prayed into the night. At the height of his ministry, where do we see Jesus? The crowds want to hear more from him. What is he doing? He's withdrawing into a desolate place to pray. Nothing would get in the way of his prayer life. And then at the depth of his sorrow, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is praying. Now think about this. If he knew he was going to be arrested, he could have fled, but he he put himself under the will of the Father and he prayed, not as I will, but as you will. When I traveled to Jerusalem, just last year I took this picture in the Garden of Gethsemane. And the Garden of Gethsemane has been an ancient garden there. It's It's overlooking the city of Jerusalem. And there's these ancient olive trees. And Gethsemane literally means olive press. It's where olive oil was pressed as they harvested from these orchards of olive trees. Jesus prayed in that place. You just see this pattern. Best day, worst day, most successful day, most grim day. Praying. And so the, great, the most we can do to follow Christ is to pray. Secondly, what if the most we could do to grow in our love for God and others was to pray? 
We see this pattern in Paul. He would pray. He said, it's my prayer to the church in Philippi that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. Now, did this prayer work? Read in the New Testament. If you want to do a word search, and now you can with a digital Bible and things like that, but you can do a word search on the, book in, the, the church in Philippi, and you will find a church that lived in severe poverty. None of them had much at all. And yet, when the church in Jerusalem needed an offering out of love, they gave more, far more than Paul ever expected, and even more than the church in Corinth, which was wealthy and affluent, was giving them. And Paul said, out of severe poverty, God welled up rich generosity. How? Because his prayer, his prayer was being answered by God. They were overflowing in their love. And there, that, that whole concept is, if you picture a glass of water, that glass of water had a, had a top so that as water poured into it, it just overflowed into everyone around it. And as God supplied them more love, they just loved the people around them. How do you get more love? How do you get more love for God? I mean, I'm convicted about that every day. God, I, I want to love you more today than I did yesterday. And then the whole picture of how do I love someone I don't love? (laughs) How do I love someone who's messed with me, who's talked behind my back and it got back to me? How do I love people who are against me? There's no way you're going to do it on your own strength. You don't have that capacity. We wake up every morning loving ourselves. I know. I know what I want in life. I know how to take care of myself. I know when you've been insensitive to me, that's because I love myself. I'm a higher priority. And so in order for me to step down from that, God has to fill me with his love. There's no way I'm going to love my enemy in and of my own resources. I've got to have God's love pour through me. How do we get that? We pray for it. God loves to answer those prayers. God, give me more love for you and for others today. And then, what if to pray was was the most you could do to deepen your dependence on God? to deepen your dependence on God, that your faith would grow. In Luke chapter 22, it's a fascinating story of Jesus talking to Simon Peter on the night he was betrayed. And Jesus was telling Peter, Peter, you're going to deny me. And Peter goes, I will die with you. And Jesus goes, no, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows in the morning. And Peter says, I will not. And, and this is what Jesus prayed for him. He says, I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. So do you know what Jesus was saying to him? He says, Peter, you're going to fail. Now, I prayed that it wouldn't, but you're going to. And when you come back around, and when you recognize that and turn back, strengthen your brothers in faith. We have Jesus interceding at the throne of God for us with our faith. He wants us. He is absolutely committed to us growing in our faith. How do you grow in faith? Prayer. Trusting God with things that you're not trying to control. What's the greatest thing you can do to grow your faith? Daily prayer. It's the most you can do to exercise faith is to pray. And if you look at this pattern in the the life of uh, Peter, this prayer was powerful in his life. As Jesus prayed this for him, it's amazing. He just went, and after the resurrection, Peter was willing to literally die for Christ. And he did. He did. 
that out of unbelief, God, I'm going to, Jesus, I'm going to die for you, actually turned out he did die for Christ. He was persecuted and then, then martyred for the faith. His preaching was totally different after the resurrection. He became this bold proclaimer of who Jesus was, and he called people into faith in Christ. And he was radically committed to people growing in their faith. How do you grow in your faith? You pray. You pray. And then what if, it, what if uh, the most you could do to make it through what you're going through was to pray? This is something, because so many times when you go through a crisis, it's really easy to just try to do everything yourself, and you feel just, what do I, I got to do, and how am I going to make it through this? And you put all the pressure on yourself, and yet prayer is that invitation by God. It's an opportunity to trust him with things you can't understand yet. Paul says this, and he was no stranger to persecution. He said, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant. Look at that, constant in prayer. It was the most he could do. You see him praying when he's persecuted. And it's not just a New Testament concept. Look in your Old Testament. The book of Psalms is 150 chapters long. And if you could take roughly half of the book of Psalms, you would have the celebratory Psalms, the Psalms of ascent, the Psalms of praise and glory to God. The Lord is good. His mercy endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. Um, The Lord is my shepherd. Those are all Psalms that are Psalms of praise and of glory. But there's a whole nother set of Psalms and it's the other half. And those are the Psalms of lament. They sound like this. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? If you follow these prayers into the prophets, you'll get a prophet saying, God, cursed was the day I was born. It's better for me to be dead than alive. These are prayers, folks, prayers. And the American church doesn't like to talk about it especially the white American church doesn't like to talk. We just like the positive. Everything's great. But if you've ever gone through injustice, if you've ever gone through exploitation or abuse or brokenness or loss, and you hung on to the hand of Jesus, you navigated through the songs of lament and the prayers of lament. They became the way you express your faith to get through what you're going through. What's the most you can do to get through what you're going through? Pray, pray. And then to advance the gospel in the lives of others. The most you could do to advance the the gospel in the lives of others is to pray. Paul prayed that for Philemon. He said, and I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. I love this passage because here Paul is praying that they would proclaim Christ. That they would, that would be effective. They would learn how to share Christ. And that's a huge value here at Fellowship. We call it you and two. That there's two people in your life who are far from God and who need to know him. And you commit. The first thing you do to commit is to pray for them by name. This room, actually, if you were to tear up the carpet around this stage, you would find the names of two people in our lives that we built this church for to make room for more and because we believe that we're here to advance the gospel and the first thing we did after we wrote down their names is pray for them and they're committed in prayer there's people outside of the united states who are far from the gospel of the over 10,000 people groups in the world right now 4100 over 4100 are 
are unreached. In other words, the gospel's not even preached in a place they can go to or hear. And so we have a heart for those people to hear the gospel. And we are actually sending people to go to those places right now. And it's hard work, and not all of us will go. Most of us will stay. What do we do when we stay? We pray. What's the most we can do for those missionaries who go? Pray. I was touched uh, recently, and I'm a small group leader in our uh, student ministry on Wednesday evening, and I've been walking through life with a group of juniors now, but we started when they were in sixth grade. And I looked over to my right as I was walking down the atrium, and right before Surge was a group of sophomores who went into the family worship room and prayed. And they prayed for all their friends, and they prayed for all the events on Wednesday evening that the gospel might advance in people's lives. Now, Tim Walker, our youth pastor, he didn't set it up. This is just an idea. Some sophomore girls said, we want to do this. And they see that every week. I was just touched. It wasn't a a Joe Hishma event. It wasn't a Fellowship Bible organized deal. It was just a a grassroots movement of sophomore students who wanted to make a difference with prayer because they believe the gospel advances through prayer. Yeah, I mean, we we want to be like that. And, and then what if the most you could do to defeat the power of sin and, and evil is to pray? How many times have you said, God, I don't ever want to do that again. Please don't. I promise I won't do that again. And then you've fallen. How, how do you come back to God on that? You come through prayer. Because you have a God who will take you back. Will. Jesus prayed that. One of his most authentic prayers that we've seen in the scriptures, in John chapter 17, we see this. In John 17, verse 15, Jesus prayed this to his father. He said, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Jesus is interceding to protect us from the evil one on this earth. And so we're called here to that when the most we can do when we're being tempted, the most we can do when we come back is to pray. It's not... Be a good person. It's not, if I do this good thing, it will outweigh my bad thing. No, we come back in prayer. God, I messed up. And I see it. I see it as you see it. And so I turn from that to trust and follow you. James says it this way. He says, confess your sins one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. It's a fascinating passage, and it shows us that when we gather together, it's so important that we just don't gather together to show our best side. And can I just say this right now? You look marvelous. Every one of you look marvelous today. We can dress up and look decent, presentable, but where's our hearts? Where's our heart right now? God knows that. And so it's good to be real with God with your heart. Prayer is that invitation to be real with God, to confess your sins. And even in community, as this church is a community, we're a family of families. In this environment and in our other environments, whether it's small group and one particular one in Tuesday nights, our recovery ministry, my goodness, people really believe this, that as they confess sins to one another, it breaks the power of that sin. I don't know if you've ever been in an authentic, vulnerable small group, but it's powerful because you have people saying, 
man, I've messed up. This is what I've done. This is who I feel like. This is who I am. And when we're authentic with ourselves, we're not, we're not just showing, you know, the things we post on Facebook, but when we're open and authentic and we're real with each other, it breaks the power. When I call sin, sin in my life, when people confess porn, it breaks the power of porn in your life because that's such a hidden, secretive sin. Boy, it just got really quiet here. Can I say that one? I'm just kidding. No, there's words in our lives that are messing with us that when they're said, whoa, wait a minute, will we go that deep with God? Well, we need to be willing to seek prayer as a place to confess our sin, to seek God, to turn away from evil in our lives. The most you can do is to pray. Now think, think with me. This happens when we pray. Is there any wonder why it's one of the greatest battles in your life? If God has so much to offer you here, why wouldn't you, if you're against God, if you're against good in this world and you're evil, why wouldn't you want to keep his children away from communicating and experiencing all that God has for us? When I think of the prayer life I want, I think of a picture of redwoods. Because I, I went to see Redwoods this past year. I had a few extra hours in San Francisco. So I went out to Muir Woods National Park. It's a fascinating place because Redwoods are about three to 400 feet tall. And, I mean, it's just phenomenal. I've never seen trees that have gone. Sequoias are the really large trees. Redwoods are the really tall trees. And I was with Rick Tagg, who's the chairman of our elders. And it really made Rick look small, okay? That's why I wasn't in the picture, but you, you saw just how everything was in, pers- in perspective on how huge they were. And I thought, man, this is how I want my relationship with God to be. I want to span the heights of glory. I want my roots to be anchored in the ground. I wanted, I wanted just to... And, and they've been there, by the way, for five to 700 years. Before U.S. history happened, these trees started to grow. They weren't planted by any human hand. You look at that, and I think about my walk with Christ, and I think about my prayer life. I want my prayer life to be prayer life of like redwoods. But what if your prayer life is not like a redwood? When's the next best time to plant a redwood? Today. It's time today. I know all your doubts, I know your frustrations, I know your failures, and I know the distractions. They're going to be there. They're going to be there. But what if we could just clear off that slate and start again this day? What if God's mercies were really new every morning and God uh, allowed us to come to him through faith and begin again? So here's what I want us to think about. None of us are going to be perfect in this, and there will be lapses because none of us will do 100% on this. But here's what I want to challenge you to the most you can do is to pray. The most you can do to pray anytime. Anytime. Think about this. Anytime. So you're not a morning person. When can you pray? If whenever God puts it on your heart to pray, whenever you feel that nudge, whenever you think, I should pray, pray. Don't delay. 
And don't worry how long it is. Any time for however time. And it can even be one minute. It can be 10 seconds. But one minute always builds an appetite for the second minute. And it always builds the appetite for the third minute. Anytime. You might be driving. You might be sitting in class. It might be right now. Anytime God calls you to pray, pray. And it can be while you're driving and you look and you see on this earth day, God, thank you for this beautiful scenery we see out here. Thank him. That's a prayer. Thank him. Respond to who he is. Anytime, any place. Any place you are. It could be a crowded room. It can be a desolate place. Any place you're in. If you're getting free samples for lunch over at Sam's, you can pray there too. If you have a quiet room that you've locked the door and the kids are on the other side, pray. Pray that they will live. <laughs> any place. Any place you can pray. You, you, some of us be, have become cappuccino Christians. By that I mean it has to be perfect. I have to go to the church that plays the music I like, that preaches the way I like to be preached to, that has all the style, and I like my cappuccino designer church and my cappuccino designer relationship with God. Get over it, people. That is just spiritual pride. That's arrogance. And a mature believer worships anywhere. A mature believer prays any place. Take that cappuccino philosophy and flush it. And, and, and look at all the opportunities God gives us to pray. And then here's another one. It's not in your notes, and it comes as no extra charge this morning. But it's this. Anyone. Anyone that God has placed in front of you, pray with. Anyone, when you sense, it doesn't have to be, you know, a huge, don't stand up in a room of crowded people. I will pray for you all. But just anyone who's in front of you, especially if they share what's going on in their life and you feel compelled to pray for them, pray for them. I'm talking, Alan Wynn is over here. When we're talking on the phone, all of a sudden he'll break into prayer. And he hasn't even asked me to pray. Let I break into prayer. Now, thank you, I have a friend who will pray for me. I've been in the ministry for over 30 years. See that? That's ministry for 30 years. It's called the Holy Halo. <laughs> and I prayed for a bunch of people, a bunch of people. And I've only had two who didn't want to pray with me. But I always ask them, hey, can I pray with you? And most every time they go, yes, even if they're not people of faith. How will faith be planted through prayer? It's the most we can do. Now, I love to be liked, so it took me a few months to get over the person who said no. And then five years later, the second person who said no. But ultimately, I think about all the opportunities God has given me to pray with people. What could happen? Anytime, any place, anyone, if we really saw it and practice it as the most we can do. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for loving us. We thank you that we could be your children. We thank you that you're our Father. And as we look at this concept of prayer, Lord, just take it away that it's an obligation and move us to see the wonderful, glorious opportunity of a relationship in communication with a God who formed us and shaped us and has purpose for us in this world. We lift up the name of Jesus, and Lord, I pray for everyone here who is willing to take a step of faith and pray any place, anytime with anyone who's in front of them. 
Lord, give them a greater appetite of, of, of prayer and trusting people with you. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.